Welcome to episode 32 of the Strategics Podcast. Today we are going to have a bit of a local focus. We're going to talk about uh, Doug Ford and uh, populism and whether or not it's a wave that's coming across Canada or not. And But is first of all, is Doug Ford really, really a populist? Is he like Donald Trump? See, people have argued that he is or is he not? So we're going to take a look at uh, at some of those uh, some of those questions today. So if you're not aware, Doug Ford is the newly elected uh, leader of the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario, and uh, he has uh, he is of course the uh, the brother of the uh, the late Mayor Rob Ford uh, in Toronto, and of course I think Rob Ford made world headlines. So some people are expecting some of the same activities from uh, from Doug Ford as well. So let's get into it. Uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Do you? What do you think about Doug Ford? Is he a populist? Is he not a populist? And where do you think this is going to go? Well, if we're using uh, Donald Trump as the uh, as the stick in the ground for what makes a populist, uh, then Doug Ford would be kind of populist delight. But I think Doug, uh, I think Trump is a fascist. So uh, using that as a, as a starting point. Yeah, I mean, Doug Ford is a populist in kind of the classic sense in that uh, he has a simple, very attractive message at a time when the status quo is really unappealing. Uh, the, the, you know, the, there's a huge fatigue with the liberal government. So he's saying simply, well, we'll cut taxes without cutting jobs or services. Uh, you're not going to see too much different, except that you're going to see, you know, the same old tired faces. Uh and much better budget scrutiny, so we're going to save you money, but you know nobody's going to lose their job. So he's he's playing very politically savvy. Uh, you know he's not making the mistakes of John Tory uh, with the the separate schools funding the separate schools. He's not making the mistake of Tim Hudak saying right before the election that he's going to cut hundreds of thousands of jobs. Ford is saying you know things are going to be kind of the way they are, but we're going to be much more responsible. We're not going to be the mad spenders that we are. And banking a lot on liberal fatigue, and I, you know, it's a very effective message. I tend to view it a little more. I guess I agree, Jeff, in that he's uh, populist light, but I actually view him populist light, 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 light. You know, that's the sort of zero percent beer situation. Simply because I view populism as much more as a style than necessarily a policy platform. The policy platform, you're right about it. He's pr- kind of promising everything to everybody in the sense that he's forcing conservative voters who might be in the middle to choose, well, okay, I'll suspend belief on balancing the budget because he says he won't fire anybody but balance the budget, but I really want lower taxes. So he's forcing them to kind of go down the menu and choose one of the conservative policies and kind of ignore that maybe they don't match up. The style, though, I see him as much more not a Trump angry man in the sense of, I'm with you, angry man. I just kind of view him as angry. That every time, that's why they want to dump the media bus to some degree, or they want to limit his uh, availability. Because Rob Ford, you could throw it there, and then you had to kind of pull him back. He would kind of start saying stuff, and then you had to get him out of the scrum. I don't think they really want Doug Ford in the scrum, because essentially, I don't think he has answers. Like, I don't mean that in a policy sense, but I think he's not really well scripted either because he doesn't study it, or he doesn't 
Uh, they don't give him the, the notes, but there's a tendency to immediately have him go off and say, well, a tool, you know, what are you going to do? You know, how many doors have you knocked on? That interview with the CBC, I think, with Robin Bresnahan up in Ottawa, yeah. I think was very telling because I think that's what he is. Whereas Rob Ford can kind of chuckle it up. Yeah, he'd get angry about stuff, but he kind of go, eh, you know, I'm kind of going along and let's go to the hockey game. I don't see Doug Ford really at the hockey game that much. Well, but I, isn't, I, isn't that kind of a classic, sorry, a tool, it's your uh, turn, but i got to ask Phil to follow up. Sure. Isn't that kind of classic uh, low-risk electioneering? You don't talk a lot about yeah. platform. You get don't get into too many details. Just, you know, high-level messaging that's very appealing. And then you, 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 you know, you do limit access to the candidate because uh, you don't want the candidate either put in a, a nasty situation where they don't look good or where they're freelancing on answers and, and get themselves in trouble. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Jeff. My only point is simply that if you want to talk about populism, I tend to view it, I'm kind of a traditional populist in the kind of Huey Long sense of the idea. William Jenny, the American, is from the, like the early 1900s. And they were kind of guys who would kind of show up at your doorstep, sit out and have a cup of coffee, that kind of crowd. I don't see Doug Ford that way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I disagree with that because I... I think that uh, him and Rob had really built their reputation on connecting with the average person. Of course, you know, we know that Rob became mayor because he spent the, the previous 10 years as a counselor, answering phone calls personally, going out personally to help people get their issues dealt with. You wanted a pothole fix, you called Rob for it. And in fact, it went, you know, he got such a reputation for it that people from other wards we're calling in to him to say, look, I'm not in your ward and you don't represent me, but can you really help me out with this issue? I mean, that's the kind of populism I see, I, you know, we saw with Rob Ford. Will we see the same kind of populism yeah. with Doug Ford? And I think on that sense, we will see that, but I don't see it like, like he's like Donald Trump, right? He is yeah. the, there is a, the angry man perso persona, which he has. But I think he's a little bit more political savvy than, than Trump is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Here's the analogy I'd make, and, and you don't want to run this too far. But if you kind of view John Kennedy as kind of the populist embodiment of the youth culture of the 60s, Robert Kennedy was the man who came in and cleaned up everything. Mm -hmm. He was the guy with the elbows in the corner. So when he became really popular in 68, it was really... Uh, he, he kind of had epiphanies. He didn't develop into that role. I mean, for example, the one, uh, the famous one of the life, uh, the the life pitcher spread, where he's down in the southern, I forget, it's Florida, wherever, and he's going to literally shacks. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say ghettos is the wrong term, but really rural areas, yeah. predominantly black, where there was just no water, nothing, and you could see that this was it really meant a lot to him. That became his epiphany. I don't see Doug Ford having an epiphany, I see him more as kind of got the elbows up, okay, get my elbows down, and exactly like Jeff said, we got to start hiding a little bit, Bob, and weaving, and that, in that sense, becomes a traditional campaign rather than a populist campaign in the Trump, I'm just throwing the book out style. Yeah, I, It's I, interesting, though, he has done something pretty clever in terms of um, positioning himself, you know, I, I we'll go back to populist light, in the pop, on the populist side of the spectrum, in that... Uh, you know, we in who tend to live in the, the left wing echo chamber would look at him and say, oh, well, you know, he's, he's anti elite. And yet here he is, uh, you know, a very wealthy man. But he's done a great job of differentiating wealth from elitism. 
And he's painted himself as, you know, the guy who drinks milk from the carton, the guy who is a, a regular Joe who, you know, who, who would sit down and have a coffee with you. And you might enjoy that more than sitting down and having a coffee with Kathleen Wynne. Why don't we move it into the comparisons with Trump? So we've seen in the media there's been a lot of discussion as to, well, is he Donald Trump or not? And, you know, we've, we've kind of talked around the idea of populism, whereas Trump was seen as a populist and, would, you know, tried to defend the person who has lost their job because of the free trade agreement and was going to go after China for currency manipulation, was going to make, you know, make America great again. And I'm, I'm doing air quotes with that. So the... Uh, <laughs> I can see the air quotes. Yeah. The, uh, so Doug Ford, I think, is a, is a different kind of animal in that regard. Yes, he will talk similar language, but I think he's a lot more politically aware of, you know, who's going to vote for him. How do you reach out to those people? And I think he's got a much stronger campaign team who have actually done this a couple of times with other with other candidates and, you know, could run a very credible campaign. The example I use is uh, one of the former leadership candidates, Tanya Allen Granick, uh, who plays fourth, but who came into the leadership campaign to talk about sex ed and uh, really push that as her primary issue, is running for the PC party and is running in Mississauga Center. So for those that don't know, Mississauga Center is a very uh, culturally diverse riding in, in the city of Mississauga, which in itself is very, very uh, culturally diverse as well. So um, she made a comment, a public comment, about uh, Muslim women who wear a hijab as being either bank robbers or ninjas. And it's just like, you know, that's the kind of thing I expect from Donald yeah. Trump, right? Un mm -hmm. Unaware of what the consequences are. I don't give a shit as to what's going to happen. I'm just going to go out and say it. Whereas I don't think Ford's that kind of way. And he actually, you know, politically, in a politically astute way, uh, distanced himself from those comments. So like, yeah, because guess what? Guess who, guess who lives in the riding? Well, there's a large Muslim population in the yeah. riding as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in that sense, this is where I get to style. I mean, to me, Donald Trump, ignoring the populist label, I view Donald Trump's leadership style as very business oriented in the sense that just get stuff done. He, he, he relies heavily on his own infallibility. And I think that's mm. fairly obvious. Yeah. So he kind of believes he puts something out. It's kind of either going to be right and people just won't admit it, or it'll become right in the future. I think Doug Ford, in that sense, is more traditional in the sense that I don't think he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And I think he's willing to, you know, Rob had some of this problem, although he would listen towards the end. I think Doug Ford will listen to people. And I think that's kind of where the uh, the Muslim comments come from. I, I don't think he necessarily would have or not would have said anything, you know, in, in his gut instinct. But I think he's smart enough to listen to people and knows he's ahead in the polls that when people come and say, look, we got to do something about this. Whereas Donald Trump would just kind of, no, I feel in my heart yeah. that this is the right thing to say, and I've been right all the way along the line, even if he's been wrong, he, he'll kind of push that along. I think Doug Ford will say, okay, I hear you. This is not an area I know. What do you want me to say? And I, I would jump in and say that uh, that I, I don't want to give Donald Trump any credit because I think it's quite accidental that it, that it worked out this way, but uh, America is an angrier place right now than Ontario is. Yeah. And Donald Trump, an angrier person, uh, than, than Doug Ford is. Uh, I, I think that now Trump is cornered and he's striking out uh, like a cornered, soon to be brought down animal. And so you, you can't really look at what he's doing now as populism. Now it's just, it's 
survival. Um, but you know, with, with regard to the business, uh, the business-like approach, there is a certain similarity in you know the infallibility of business. You know, like like you said, the Trump Trump had, has always had people defer to him, and so he just naturally assumes as soon as I'm in government that that's the way it's going to be and it's all going to work out, which is. You know, the, the classic example of campaigning is quite a bit different than, than governing. Uh, you know, I, I worry a little bit that uh, the, the Livingston stuff, uh, the, the recent conviction sentencing of David Livingston uh, for act, actions related to the wiping of, of liberal computers, you know, that, that's part of that kind of smells a little bit of that kind of business elitism because it wasn't a Livingston who, who said, who gives a shit? You know, you, you guys on you, on the various parliamentary committees can't really do anything to me. It's that, it, you know, so by all reports, he's a wonderful man, skilled, talented, but he comes out of the, you know, a banking industry, very senior executive in banking who probably, uh, you know, thought that he could do a lot of things without, without consequences. Well, and I think that's one of the lessons coming out of what what happened to David Livingston. And and, and for those who don't follow it, um, he was uh, the former chief of staff to then uh, Premier McGinty and uh, uh, went and uh, wiped a number of uh, hard drives in the premier's office without uh, following the proper procedure for data retention and brought in people who did not have... Uh, uh, sort of clearance, security clearance to come in and, and work on those uh, those uh, machines, and so he was. Uh, it was seen as a breach of uh, legislative act for the retention of uh, public information, and uh, was found uh, uh, guilty and was sentenced to four months. Which is, which to me, I think is actually going to send quite a chill through uh, the political staff in government. Okay. So now. Now you're going to be thinking about every single thing that you say and do as to whether or not you could be, you could be, uh, you know, uh, held to account for those kinds of actions. And and to your point, Jeff, is that uh, you know when you're in government, there is a certain sense that you are protected by what you're doing because you are you are in a government position, and therefore you know you are able to make those kinds of decisions. And uh, clearly, that's not the case. So. One of the things I find interesting, though, is I was listening yesterday to uh, Kathleen Wynne's response, because she's going to get hit with this again, yeah. the David Livingston stuff. And it wasn't a bad response, but it was kind of un uh, unsatisfactory in the sense that she talked about, well, it was a former government, which it was, yes. and they've changed the rules, which they have, and stuff like that. I had, this is where I think guys like Doug Ford and Donald Trump almost viscerally understand a better, even if it's the wrong response factually, they understand kind of what people are looking for in those kind of responses. I'm not sure what the answer would be because that's probably how I'd answer it with like Premier Wynn. But having said that, there was something kind of like, uh, it kind of, ah, uh, a little, uh. Whereas I'm sure if Doug Ford was saying it would be like, well, blah, 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 whatever. And you'd go, huh, okay, I, I like it, I don't like it, but I kind of know where this is. Whereas hers seemed a little more kind of bobbing and weaving, which in these kind of issues, whether it's the hydro um, plant, the uh, the hydro plant cancellations or these those kind of issues that have been out there for a long time. I think she needs very clear marks on that. Whereas if Doug Ford was in the same spot, I think he would be probably better because he would be able to have a clear response because he'd believe the clear response. Mm. Well, can I ask you guys? You guys are the experts on, on this. Uh, <laughs> it seems like she got away with blaming the power plant debacle on the former administration. 
Um, is she, do you think she's? Do you think that works? I mean, for me, just as a you know person reading the news, um, it's all you know. Well, you know, yeah, it was previous administration, but you're all the same stripe. You're it's kind of the next generation of the same thing. So I don't I don't well, give her that benefit of the doubt. But uh, seems like she got away with it. I, I don't know about got away with it. I think there will still be some some resonance, uh, you know, with the recent conviction. But I think it's important also to sort of delineate the two issues as well, because the power plant, yes, it was mishandled. But if you actually go back and, and talk to sort of the other parties, oh, they, were all doing it. they would all have all done, done the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. So the problem is, is that uh, the liberals got tripped up in how they executed on yeah. it. And uh, we're, you know, we're, we're damaged by that. Uh, but if you actually go and talk to the other political parties, that would have been the same outcome. So there's sure, that. Sure, but that, that's a differentiation that works among, you know, media yeah, no, pundits exactly. and no, absolutely. Yeah, professional. But, but for, for the regular voter, it's like, well, what was that power plant thing? Oh, that cost a few billion dollars and we got nothing. To, they're not going to. I don't yeah. think they dive that deep to think of everybody would have done it the same way. No, no, absolutely. But my, my point was that there was the differentiation between what happened with the power plant and what happened with David Livingston, right? So, I mean, though he was trying to, it looked like he was trying to get rid of uh, documents related to the power plant. And that, to me, is the, oh. the connection. But it was a different kind of action. Like, this is actually obstruction of justice as well as, you know, uh, 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 destruction of, of evidence. And removal of documents related to the public record. So it, it's kind of a little bit more technical, but I understand what you're saying, Jeff, is that mm. people don't, they won't make those kinds of distinction and they just kind of lump it all together. So. Well, I think that becomes the problem. I mean, the I ignoring the uh, minutia, and I like that word, of the power plant issue, uh, there was nothing, it was, it was a mistake as opposed to a criminality. Yeah. The David Livingston problem is, it, it, you know, because he's convicted by definitions of criminality there. But I think the problem became for the government is they were unable to segment the two issues and in effect either throw it to, you know, everybody was going to do it or, okay, it was a mistake and we cleaned it up as opposed to David Livingston, which is kind of criminality. So what's happened is that the Livingston stuff is in effect backdated, the hydro stuff. So it's infected the hydro stuff rather than Somehow, Livingston stuff, oh, that was just incompetence, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Hydra stuff going forward, if you kind of see how I'm trying to differentiate it. So, basically, Jeff, for a change, I'm actually agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. So, one, one of the things that with the election of Doug Ford is that, you know, be prior to Doug Ford, the previous leader was very similar in policy uh, with respect to the liberals as well. So it was more, let's let's just change the players, but we'll keep doing the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the NDP, of course, were, you know, kind of uh, a lot of their policies were reflected in that, in the, uh, the promises by the liberals themselves. So they were kind of all three of the parties were kind of coalesced around uh, sort of the center left, uh, if you like. So Ford's election now sort of takes the, takes the PC party completely out and moves them into this uh, populism, you know, we're tired of the elites kind of camp versus the liberals and the NDP. So now you've actually, as a voter in Ontario, you've got a, a direct choice. You know, choice A is the current government and sort of the things that they've done over the past 15 years and how they've been able to make improvements versus, well, I'm just tired of these guys. I need a change. And here's a guy who's talking to me about uh, going after the elites, you know, and making sure that taxation is going to be fair and I'm going to get more services and I'm going to balance the budget. Mm. 
well, you know, as as the I think it was you, Jeff, who in the last podcast said that uh, the president of Cambridge Analytica said, well, people don't vote on policies, they vote on emotion. So the, right. he's creating a different. Well, and it's also interesting to me how um, how identical the liberal and NDP agendas are. I've seen it. I've seen it described as uh, you know the liberal platform is kind of the dream NDP platform. So with Ford bleeding off some liberals who might be a little right leaning, who might be a little tax weary and and win weary, and you know an NDP platform uh, that's pretty similar bleeding off some on that side perhaps um, doesn't that doesn't that tell us that Ford has an excellent shot at winning this? I mean, he 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 would be right now. The question becomes on the campaign trail, right? Because Win is not a bad campaigner. Yeah, uh, and uh, I don't think Doug Ford is particularly good. I think he's got a good style, but I think when you kind of, he's more likely, for instance, to have the incident where he punches me, whereas Kathleen Wynne, yeah, she would look and just get somebody else to punch me, you know, behind the scenes. Um, uh, so you've got that kind of issues because we were involved in the campaign in 95 where we were ahead and we kind of did the bob weave or the cork on the water and all of a sudden the uh, swamp got drained on us and we didn't know it. The next thing we're, you know, by, uh, lost quite badly. So you can, especially in Ontario, smaller jurisdictions as opposed to the United States or presumably Russia if they had free elections, you have an ability to kind of have these things move fairly quickly for unseen reasons. Where in the States, it's a little more, yeah, because you have 330 million people and it's a broad range. You can get differentiations regionally. In a place like Ontario, you get differentiations regionally, but it's a lot harder, so. Well, and, and if you look at the history of campaigns for, you know, since 2003 when the Liberals uh, first got elected, every PC leader has fumbled during the campaign, yeah. right? So they've, there's always, and, and I think in every one of those instances, the Liberals were always slightly behind yeah. and yeah. were able to come back and uh, overtake, uh, you know, the leader, which was uh, mostly the PCs for most of uh, the part of the campaign, because of some some gaffe or mistake or you know unusual policy announcement that uh, mm-hmm. that was made during the campaign, and you know I fingers crossed I guess that on the liberal side that they are hoping that the same thing's going to happen and history will repeat itself, but you know he's a little bit more savvy than yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would view that. Yeah. I view him savvier than his brother. Yeah, absolutely. I think his brother kind of got lucky in a sense because he was the first one out the door. I think Doug is much. You know, his instincts at least are to pull back, whereas Rob's instincts were to go forward. So why don't we uh, spend a few minutes on, uh, you know, is this a wave? Like, are we seeing now, obviously, it's, hap- it's a wave across the U.S., absolutely. And we could talk about that a little bit. But is this a wave across Canada? If it were a true wave, uh, we wouldn't see Doug Ford pulling back and moderating himself and controlling himself. Mm-hmm as well as he is, and listening to his, uh, obviously, apparently listening to his advisors so that his message is, is moderated. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, the pendulum in politics always swings back and forth over long periods of time. Uh, it is, you know, it is certainly a trend toward uh, less less polished-looking Politicians, less professional politician-looking politicians, even though that's exactly what Doug Ford is. Uh, but I don't think uh, it's 
you know, going to be an enduring wave. And I think we're going to see uh, crazy results in the U.S. midterm elections, uh, which is not, you know, that that's kind of par for the course, but they're going to be even more enhanced. So that's going to that's going to break up the wave if there was one quite a bit. I think one of the troubles with a populist wave across Canada is I don't think a lot of the people who would adopt that kind of demeanor actually would believe it in the sense, you know, it would be kind of like, okay, they did really well in the States. What can we kind of appropriate? And so you see some of this coming out of, you know, to some degree, uh, uh, Rachel Notley in Alberta, Mm -hmm. not that she's a populist in that sense, but you saw the stuff with the pipelines. I'm going to take on BC, which is kind of a soulmate of them in the sense of, you know, NDP governments, et cetera. But okay, I've got to stand up for people here. And that in a sense is the, the positive part of populism. The guy I would, I would, in my mind, associated with populism would be Brad Wall. Yeah. I mean, Brad Wall was a, was a quote-unquote positive populist, a man who seemed to understand the common man. Some of the stuff was, you know, not where I would be, but you could see that he kind of felt where people were, that he understood that kind of an issue. You'll see some of that because I think that's actually ingrained in whether it's Tommy Douglas or Bob Stanfield or Jean Chrétien. I think that's actually ingrained in the political mm-hmm. ethos of Canada, the idea that, you know, I'm going to help you up. No matter who it is, um, but I think the the, the tub thumping, we're gonna, you know, these this group burns in hell because I've got the Bible kind of the crowd that you see in the states a bit. I don't think you're seeing that up here because even if somebody tried to appropriate that, and I would kind of look at Tanya Allen uh, as doing a bit of that. I don't think it. I, yeah, it's got a little group that's gonna run with you, but unless you're running in a city in a ward, you're kind of not gonna get elected with that. Yeah, my my concern is that uh, you know we've. I think in cognitive science, there's this idea of anchoring. Like if you put out sort of a a, a number or a relative benchmark, then everything that you do kind of gets measured against that. And so Trump has kind of set that anchor or that benchmark by, by which everything gets measured against now. So while we may not see uh, the same level of, uh, of intensity in terms of his disrespect for the political process and his tapping into some of that discontent, I still think, and as you said, Jeff, you know, the, uh, the angrier place that the United States has become uh, I still see a level of anxiety increasing across the country as well. So you're, you're, I think that's that we will see that. It may not get as much as what yeah, we see in the sure. U.S., but I think uh, it has certainly opened the door for that. So, so does that trump the old school politics of you know buy the votes with uh, with lavish uh, programs for the critical voting blocks? You know, senior care, senior pharma care. Um, raise the minimum wage for for average workers, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I think it, it comes down to how smart you kind of think of the longer-term voters are. In the short term, I think you're right. You know, it's going to get pushed that out now because that looks like old-style politics. On the other hand, if you believe in the democratic process that, you know, people will find things that they like among parties and policies that make sense, you know, in some, I get the point that it's not every policy, but that in some sense you want a rational government. In the longer term, you got to believe that, okay, if you can't balance the budget, you got to kind of way to find a, you got to find a way to balance the budget. You have to do those kind of policies. In the short term, though, I think you're right. You know, now if you come up with with promises and the other guy says, well, that's just going to do this. And the other guy's seen positively, you're going to look like you're old. Well, and when yeah. we are seeing a little bit of that in terms of 
not very many people are holding the PCs to account in terms of, well, what's your fully costed platform going to look like? Yeah. So we can take a look at, you know, are you actually going to be able to pay for the promises? Now it's more based on, well, you know, I like those ideas and they see. He'll get it done. Yeah, he'll figure it out. And yeah. politicians are all the same anyway. So what does it matter? Right? Yeah, <laughs> so. no, exactly. Well, that, and that is ultimately my view of, uh, of the democratic process. Uh, Phil, you have a very highfalutin uh, optimistic view. I think it's the, uh, yeah, that guy sounds pretty good. I think, uh, you know, and there's not nearly, other than uh, in the corners of people like us who read obsessively about this stuff, you know, most people just pick somebody, uh, again, it goes back to the Cambridge Analytical quote, you know, yeah, that feels about right. That sounds right to me. I, 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 I identify with that. And that's it. I think a lot of people would be surprised to have me described as the optimist in the crowd. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on that note, <laughs> thank you for joining us for this podcast. As, as always, it's been a, a wonderful discussion, and uh, we'd love to hear your comments. You can uh, email us at podcast at strategicconsulting.ca. Um, all of those uh, information regarding uh, those that participate in the podcast is available on uh, in the show notes. And uh, we'd love to hear your comments. If you could leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, of course, that's always most appreciated and helps uh, people, more people get access to the podcast. I'm Atul Sharma. Until next week, be well. Be well.